Welcome to the Husband Material Podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. Hey man, today's interview with Dr. Keith Gregoire is amazing. You guys have to listen to this. Whether you're married or not, we are talking about how to become sexually mature, how to treat women right, especially in the bedroom. You're going to learn a lot about how sex works, why you might be having sexual issues if you are married in the bedroom, in your intimacy with one another, and what we can do to make sex great for both partners. You will learn why we need to redefine sex and let go of our male-centered views of sex and embrace God's design. Enjoy the episode. Today on the show, I am beyond excited because one of my favorite books in the whole world is this book, The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex by Sheila Ray Gregoire and Dr. Keith Gregoire, because good guys make the best lovers. Today, we are hanging out with Dr. Keith Gregoire. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. You're welcome. So why are you so passionate about <laughs> men becoming great lovers? Oh, this is great. Well, this has been a bit of a, a strange road for me. My my usual job is a physician. I'm actually a pediatrician. Uh, and uh, my wife started writing about marriage and family stuff about 12, 15 years ago and got more and more into writing about sex and marriage, basically. So 10 years ago, she wrote The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. Uh, and then so basically recently, the publishers are saying, hey, you know, we need a we need a version for the guys too. So she said, hey, what do you think? You want to come along and write about something so incredibly intimate and, uh, and uh, you know, fraught with danger? <laughs> so I said, sure, why not? And so we wrote a book together and it's been great. So I would say I'm passionate about it because, um, you know, I think that sex is a really wonderful, I mean, we all hear the cliche, sex is a wonderful gift from God. But I think that a lot of Christians are not really experiencing that in their life. They're saying it because they know you're supposed to say it, but they're not really feeling it. Um, specifically as a pediatrician, I really want to build strong families and strong families come from strong marriages. And part of a strong marriage is a strong, you know, physical relationship, not just physical sexuality. We know is more than just physical, but you know what I mean? And so it's just, I think it's really important. I think there's a lot of room for improvement because a lot of the stuff that's been out there teaching is cause more harm than good a lot of the time. So, so yeah, so we're really excited about this as a, as a real ministry to couples. Yeah. So whether you are married or unmarried, this information is incredibly important. I benefited tremendously from it. Not that my sex life is really bad, but there is a lot of need for improvement. And even if your sex life is going mm -hmm. great, you are going to get some amazing insights here about how it works and what to do, what not to do. And unfortunately, Keith, uh, as you share in the book, you have some stories about what not to do. <laughs> That's right. Well, uh, one of the things I could have said is why am I so passionate about this is because I did it so badly early on. <laughs> you know, I, I made a lot of mistakes early in our marriage as well, too, uh, and had a lot to learn. And so I, I feel like I have a lot to share with guys. Um, and one of the big things I think is that um, in general, I think a lot of times men, not intentionally, have a relatively selfish view of sex. 
um, and this gets reinforced in the evangelical church, particularly because most of the teaching that I see, I don't know what your, your experience has been, but my experience has been the teaching is basically goes like this. Sex is something that guys want and girls need to give it to them <laughs> after they're married and only after they're married. <laughs> so, and then that's sort of the mentality. And we don't have a concept of a truly mutual, um, mutually pleasurable, truly intimate connection that sex was meant to be. Instead, it's sort of a, how can we make her placate him more? I know you talk a lot about pornography and that's particularly one of the big things I hear all the time is, well, ladies, you need to have more sex so he won't be tempted to to go to pornography. Um, and, you know, as I'm sure you have talked about in your podcast before, pornography and sex aren't the same thing. Pornography is a very, very, very cheap substitute for what God intended in the sexual relationship. Exactly. Pornography is a cheap substitute. And we also need to be very clear that the goal of becoming a better lover and unlocking sexual pleasure in a woman is not to prevent you from using pornography. That's not what this is about. This is not about getting more sexual pleasure so that you won't use porn. Mm -hmm. This is about replacing the cheap substitute with something beautiful and glorious for yeah. both partners, not just the guys. Yeah. And so for me, I, I kind of, um, I became a Christian in my late teens uh, and I was immediately immersed in sort of the purity culture uh, idea, which is don't have sex till you're married. Don't even think about having sex till you're married. Don't even think about thinking about having sex till you're married. <laughs> and, but then once you get married, it's going to be amazing, mind-blowing, fantastic, easy, perfect, solve all your problems. You know, I, I'm, I'm being a bit facetious and kind of over the top there. But I think a lot of people are going to relate to that. Like that's sort of the, the, the bill of goods that we were kind of sold in the evangelical church. So then when Sheila and I got married, uh, Sheila suffered from a condition called vaginismus. Now, vaginismus is a form of sexual pain where the muscles of the vaginal wall contract and they make penetration painful or even impossible. And during that time, when my wife was in pain, I am ashamed to say my deepest feelings was how I wasn't getting the sex life that I expected. I blamed her for ruining our sex life. Terrible things like that. And I'm ashamed to say it now, but, but that is where I was at. I was very selfish because I'd been taught sex is for men. Sex is something men give women. She's not giving it to you. You know, you can't go anywhere else. You're stuck now. That sort of mentality. And I, and I was a very, very selfish um, in my view of sex. Um, we did work through things as well too, but the healing would have come so much sooner if I had been able from the beginning to put what I felt was, you know, the most important thing, my need for sex on the back burner and say, Hey, like as a couple, how are we going to deal with this difficulty that we are having? Um, and seeing it much more as a mutual kind of thing. But I think a lot of times when we think about sex, we don't really think of it as a mutual thing. I mean, we we say we do, but we don't really. Like, for instance, if, if I said to you, and don't answer this question because I'm not actually asking you, if I said to you, did you have sex last night? 
So don't answer, please. <laughs> but you're probably thinking something specific, right? Not to be too you know crass, but you're probably thinking tab A in slot B until the guy climaxes. That's vaginal penetration. That's what we think. We think of sexual intercourse and we think of that as sex. And one of the things we do in the good guy's guide to great sex is we try and say, we need to redefine sex. Because if your definition of sex is just that, sexual intercourse, vaginal penetration until a guy has an orgasm, then you know her experience is completely beside the point. She could be there making a grocery list in her head. She could be you know, like my wife, she could even be in pain, but it still counts that you had sex. Mm. And that should not be our definition of sex. So in the book, we talk more about how sex is, sex is everything that you do together sexually as a couple with the aim of giving your, you know, mutual pleasure, increasing connection, building your, your, your closeness in your relationship. And that's what sex is really meant to be. This is so, so important. And I wish that somebody had taught me this 10 or 20 yeah. years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, I think the book is kind of like, I kind of jokingly, well, actually not jokingly, <laughs> I kind of say, this is the book that I wish I could have written to myself 30 years ago, mm-hmm. right? Um, because all I needed was a different attitude. I've been primed. I, I mean, I still take responsibility. I was a selfish person and I did did wrong. I take responsibility for that. But I was primed for that by the way I'd been taught about sex. And so I really, really have a real heart to get good teaching about sex out there for men so that they can go into marriage strong and thinking about it the right way from the very beginning. Let's talk more about that. What do men need to know about sex medically, specifically, but how it works for women? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think one of the things that's kind of funny is, you know, there's so much stuff these days in the church about how men and women are so different. Um, And some of it, I think, is kind of, I don't agree with a lot of it because I think it's kind of about kind of trying to be keep people in charge of things rather than actually celebrating the differences in our in our the different genders. Um, but then when we get to sex, it's kind of like we have this mentality that men have got sex figured out and women just don't. <laughs> because for men, sex is kind of more automatic. It's not, you know, aside from sexual dysfunction, um, you know, he's pretty much going to have a good time no matter what they do. Yeah. But for women, women are built differently. Women, there's a lot more to it for the sexual experience than f- for women than for men. But instead of saying, hey, men are like this, women are like that, we need to celebrate both and we need to make sure both are getting what they need out of this relationship, we sort of assume that the guy is sexual and the woman's not because she doesn't respond like a man. <laughs> and it's it's terrible. Well, let me give you an example of foreplay. So foreplay is, is you know, something that we don't talk about very much in the church. <laughs> but if you look at, at um, marriages where women are orgasming regularly, they're having a great time. It's a wonderful experience for them. And you ask men and women, because we did this, we've actually all the stuff we write about in this book is all based upon actual surveys, actual data. It's not just my opinion or Sheila's opinion. It's this based on data. If you ask men and women, you know, does he do enough foreplay in relationships where she's orgasming regularly? Like, I forget the exact number, but it's like 95% say, yes, mm-hmm. he does enough foreplay. The thing that's really fascinating, though, is that when you take or- couples where she is not regularly orgasming and you ask men, 
do you do enough foreplay? And 72% still say, yes, I do enough foreplay. Mm. So stop and think about that. So, because I want to say to those guys, what's your definition of enough? <laughs> you know, enough for what? Right? If she's not orgasming, how can you possibly say you're doing enough foreplay? But 72% of guys still say they do. And here's the really, really interesting thing. 50, sorry, 71% of guys, 52% of women say, yes, he does enough foreplay. Even when they're not orgasming, he does enough foreplay. And I think it's this whole thing I was saying earlier is we sort of think that men are naturally sexual, women aren't. Um, and so, you know, she didn't have an orgasm. Oh, well, women are just like that. They don't, you know, that's the way it is. As opposed to what am I doing wrong as a guy? What can I do better? How can I make this a wonderful experience for you? That's not our first thought. And it's, it's a shame. So in other words, if my wife is not having a lot of sexual pleasure mm-hmm. in our interactions in the bedroom, it's common to assume that must be about her. Maybe she's broken. Maybe she just doesn't want it very much. Mm-hmm. When in reality, I'm not attuned and adjusting to how her body actually works and therefore depriving her of the pleasure she deserves. Absolutely. I, I think you're totally right on that. Have you heard about the orgasm gap? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's in our book too. This is something that I don't think a lot of people have talked about, but we have a 47 point orgasm gap. Okay. What that means is when you ask men in a tip, in a typical sexual encounter, do you reach orgasm? 95% of guys always or almost always reach orgasm. The same number for women is 48%. So 47 points gap, right? And then when we see in the church, women don't want sex as much as men, we don't say, (laughs) well, no wonder it's not as good as an experience for them as it is for us. What can I as a man do differently to make it a great experience for her? We don't do that. We beat her over the head with 1 Corinthians 7 and say, don't deprive your husband, give it to him anyway. And that's terrible because if we have a 47 point orgasm gap, it's not the men who are being deprived. <laughs> you know, It's our wives who are being deprived and we need to have a very different attitude. Yes, 100%. So thank you for educating me and for giving us the wake up call we need to begin asking those questions. How can I make this a great experience for her? Because Mm -hmm. most guys are not happy when their wives are not reaching orgasm, but we just think this is the way it is. So how can we begin to make this shift and become better lovers? Yeah, well, I think one of the big things, and we we talk a lot about this in the book too, is really understanding the sexual response cycle. And this is what you were talking about earlier in terms of the medical aspect of things and understanding how men and women are different you know, physically, medically. Um, And so the sexual response cycle is sort of the phases that you go through uh, in a sexual encounter, starting from, you know, just getting a little excited through into actual arousal where your body starts to change and, you know, things start, you know, lubricating and different stuff like that. Uh, And then the next phase is called plateau. And then you have an orgasm and then there's that relaxation and all the oxytocin and all that kind of stuff afterwards. The thing is with guys, that cycle's pretty automatic. You kind of transition between those stages 
you know, pretty quickly, like a guy can go from like zero to 60, you know, with very little provocation sometimes, but women just aren't made that way. Um, for women, each of those phases looks extremely different and they need different things at different stages in the sexual response cycle. And that's not wrong. That's just the way they're made. So for instance, you know, excitement is a very different thing for women than arousal. Arousal when your body actually starts to change and you start to, you know, want sex. Arousal is when you're actually like, this is, this is what I want. I'm here. I'm in the zone. Let's go for this. Turned on. You're horny. Yeah. Excitement is sort of the stuff that comes beforehand. You know, like you're running your finger along the inside of her arm or you're snuggling in and kissing the, you know, the nape of her neck or, you know, just giving her a back rub. Some of those kind of things, right? Like, like these, this is the early phases for women and they need a lot of time there. Well, not some don't, <laughs> but, but a lot, a lot do. And a lot of guys skip right past that. You'll see Christian books and they'll talk about how the clitoris is, you know, and this is true the, the clitoris has as many nerves as the penis, right? So it, it's, it's that it's only purpose is for sexual pleasure. Like in the male anatomy, there's multiple there's multi-purpose for women, that part of the body, that is what it's for. So to think that God didn't make sex for women, I, I just don't see how that works from the design. It just doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. God created the clitoris for one purpose, women's sexual pleasure. Yeah. So, you know, so, but then you'll see Christian books saying they, 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 twig onto that truth, which is that it is intended for pleasure and women are supposed to experience pleasure too. But then they, they talk about going to the clitoris and how to rub the clitoris and doing all these kind of things, you know, and, and they miss the whole excitement phase that I'm talking about at the beginning. Right. And if you get in bed and you go straight for your wife's clitoris, it's going to feel like you're giving her a pap smear for her. <laughs> like, you know, context is so important. If she's not ready to receive that kind of attention yet, you're you're putting the car, cart so far out of the horse, the horse doesn't even know how to get there. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so you need to spend some time just with non-sexual touch, with some warm-up, with some things like that. In the book, we talk about like imagine the erogenous zones at this phase in the sexual response cycle. The erogenous zones have big no trespassing signs on them. <laughs> you know? Don't go there. Don't go there. Spend some time, linger right? Because one of the things that women need to know is they need to know they're safe. If you think about the sexual experience, I mean, it is an extreme, it's an, it's a vulnerable experience for both the man and the woman, but for the woman, it's particularly vulnerable. If you think about this, she is letting another human being inside her body. Like this is so incredibly vulnerable. She needs to feel safe. And if you're jumping in, going right for the clitoris, let's get going. She's not going to feel safe. She's not going to feel valued. She's not going to feel like this is for both of you, right? And what you want is you want her to feel like this is something that I want us to experience together. I have all the time in the world for you. This is not about getting the finish line. This is about enjoying and connecting with each other. And you want her to have that deep reassurance that she always has the freedom to say no at any point. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something that I did very, very badly earlier in our marriage because I had a very entitled mindset about sex. I thought, well, now that we're married, it's your duty. 
you know, like you're supposed to do this. And I can tell you duty sex, um, guilt and that kind of stuff, you know, it may get you more intercourse. It won't get you more sex. It won't get you more of what sex was meant to be. Right. And I think guys know that. And I wish I could, could do it very differently from the very beginning. And one of the things I think that you can show how much you value her is exactly like you said, being able to stop. This is not something that is a insatiable need you can't possibly control. I think in the, in the Christian church, we teach a lot about abstinence before marriage, but then sort of once you're married, it's assumed that whenever the guy wants it, he should be able to get it. Now, you may disagree with me, but that's sort of the way that I read a lot of the Christian material out there. And I think that, you know, we shouldn't be talking about abstinence, virginity, that kind of stuff. We should be talking about the Christian virtue of chastity. Chastity means that my sexuality is under the control of God and responsive to the Holy Spirit living within me. So before I'm married, that means I use that energy in other areas. And when I'm married, I'm in control of that. I don't use it to coerce or cajole or, you know, or beg or bribe or any of those kind of things for my wife, because that's not what it's about. Sex is about connection. It's not about mean having a need, like I have to eat this cheeseburger. I have to, you know, do this. It's not about a physical need. It's about an intimate spiritual connection. Imagine there's a guy who's married and he says, Keith, yes, I agree with you. Sex is about intimacy and connection but my body can only last so long without getting that fix, without releasing mm-hmm. semen. So does God really expect me to be able to go long periods without an orgasm? Yeah. I think the thing is too, is that a lot of teaching out there too um, reinforces that for guys, right? Like all the Christian books that talk about this, you know, like the Everyman's Battle series or other, you know, marriage books, they talk about the 72 hour cycle, right? Like when they talk to the women, they say, ladies, you know, he needs it every 72 hours. You got to make sure you, you know, if you don't, the pressure valve is going to explode and he's going to like, you know, it's going to be terrible. And that kind of message is really out there. And I find it kind of interesting how, you know, we in the church, sort of then say, well, so you have to have sex very, very regularly because men can't go without. But then at the same time, we preach that if you're a 25-year-old man in the prime of your sexual desire, but you're not married, the expectation is that you're completely celibate. And to me, that seems like a real disconnect. I think that you know whether you're married or not married, being in control of your sexuality is part of being a Christian. It's part of being a follower of God's law. It's like what God's rules. God has God values chastity. So being in control of your body is part of that. And so I feel for a guy who feels that way because that's how I spent the first years of my marriage. Right. I need this. I can't sleep without this. I I'm, I'm having a hard time. You know, I can't cope. I need this for my wife and she won't give it to me. That's sort of the way I felt. I needed to have a very, very drastic change in my attitude, right? The one that the way that it changed for me was I was reading the uh, the Bible verse about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, right? And I was in a mentality of if she doesn't give me sex, then I, I kind of, in a sense, felt like I was okay to not show her affection 
because she's not giving me what I need. So I'm not going to give her what she needs. Now, I never said that out loud, but kind of, you know, psychologically, that's where I was at. And that verse I uh, made me think, if I never, quotes, get what I need from my wife in my marriage again, that does not let me off the hook from God's injunction to me to love her selflessly as Christ loved the church. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, is that once you get out of that mindset, once you get out of the, get out of the entitlement mindset, this is something I need, something that I, ha- I should get, and you start thinking in terms of the marriage, what's good for her, what does she need? Everything changes. You think about it completely differently. It doesn't, it's not a, I'm not getting what I need. It's a, oh yeah, I'm getting a little grouchy because we haven't made love in a, in a while and I'm getting a little bit frustrated. How can I approach my wife and renew connection and make this something that she's interested in pursuing so that we can be close together again, as opposed to she's not giving me what I want and need right now. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 a, it's a big difference. It sounds, it sounds like just words, but that heart attitude is so incredibly important and it makes such an incredible difference. We need to ask better questions. Mm-hmm. A lot of our questions about, well, what's sexually appropriate and what's crossing the line into sin are ultimately asking, what can I get away with? No. That's a good point. <laughs> That's not the right question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we have a whole section of the book talking about um, what's allowed in a Christian marriage relationship and all that kind of stuff. And, and again, it's it's like I, it's not kind of like what you're implying. The point shouldn't be, well, what can I get away with? The point should be, what can we do to make our connection stronger, deeper, more intimate, more enjoyable, more pleasurable, you know, all those kind of things. And, and let's not deprive ourselves of something that could make that so much better, but I'm certainly not going to pressure you into something you feel comfortable with because that's the exact opposite of intimacy. Amen. This is the education that we needed that we didn't get about sex in the purity culture years. Yeah. So, so, you know, we were talking earlier, if I can segue back into the sexual response cycle, we talked earlier about excitement and needing to spend a lot of time and needing to, to not be rushed and needing to know her needing to know that this is something that we're doing together. That's mutual. And then when you get into the arousal things, then, you know, um, you know, then she's going to want to actually have those parts of her body touched and that sort of stuff. And a lot of women, so, cause because a lot of times people, we, we talk a lot about the things men are doing wrong, right? And so a lot of times people say, oh, you're just bashing men. Everything's men's fault, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I think that's just kind of deflection. When I hear a guy say, oh, you're just always blaming men. It's like, yeah, you know, if, if it's your issue, own it. If it's not your issue, then why are you so defensive? <laughs> you know, but anyway, but this is one of the things I think that we teach women wrong is we don't teach women to really embrace their sexuality. Um, when a man embraces his sexuality in the Christian church, that's a good thing, you know, because men are made to be sexual according to, you know, according to these teachers, but women aren't, there's something wrong about a woman embracing her sexuality. Um, for instance, one of the big things, uh, we've talked about our book, the good guy's guide to great sex. Uh, but Sheila also has a really great book called the, the great sex rescue that Sheila wrote with, um, our daughter and with another woman. And that uh, book is actually based on a survey of 22,000 women uh, and talking about what things impact your sexual relationship in marriage 
based on what you were taught when you were younger. And one of the very, very harmful messages that they found, which is taught frequently in purity culture, is that that girls are supposed to be the gatekeepers of sexual purity. And I think you've heard that before. Yeah, you're nodding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like men are the gas, women are the brakes. They're the gatekeepers. And so they should stop wearing yoga pants. Yes. Make sure to never provoke or trigger a man in any way. Yep. And if somebody is having sex with them, it's their fault. Yeah, exactly. And, and in the relationship, if he's pushing your sexual boundaries before they're married, well, he's just a guy. It's up to you as the woman to stop it. Right. And this is terrible. This is incredibly harmful teaching. It hurts women in so many different ways, because first of all, now you get married and you're actually allowed to engage in sex. You can't suddenly turn all that off. You spent your whole life up to your wedding day, shutting that part of your life down. And not only that, shutting it down so much that you can be responsible for shutting him down. <laughs> right? Like you have to be shut down so much that you're overflowing to control his <laughs> rabid sexuality that God gave him as a man, you know, and then they're supposed to turn on a dime and, you know, suddenly be these amazing sexual like creatures for their husband. Otherwise he's going to watch porn. <laughs> it's, it's, it's terrible. So, so one of the great things we talk about in the book is in that arousal cycle is helping your wife learn what she likes. Like, what does her body like? Where, how does she like to be touched? You know, where, how, all that kind of stuff. And that can be really awkward um, for guys. And a lot of guys have no clue where to start. And so the book is very you know, it's very polite. It's not going to, it's meant for Christian audience. It's not going to shock anybody, but it's very detailed about how you can actually walk through learning how your wife's body responds and how to just make the experience so fantastic for both of you. So if we want to unlock greater sexual pleasure for our wives, where do we start? Yeah. Well, you we start by get, buying the book. Good guy's guide to great sex. <laughs> yes, you should. I've recommended this to so many clients. It is so good. Well, I think one of the big things, the whole theme of the book too is, is that we, sex is more than just a physical activity. Uh, and I, I don't think we really realize that. Sex is a, phys, it is definitely a physical activity. There's no question about that. And we've been talking a lot about the physical stuff, the medical stuff, how the sexual response cycle works, all that kind of stuff. That's so incredibly important. But sex is also a highly emotional activity. And it's even, a, for us who are believers, it's even a spiritual activity. And so the, the, the book is structured in those three sections. The first third is about the physical stuff, which is mostly what we've been talking about so far, how the body works, how sex physically works, how your wife's body works, how to learn all those kind of things. But then the second and third uh, parts of the book go on to talk about those deeper emotional and spiritual levels as well too. Because another thing that, Again, you might disagree with me, but that I tend to see in the evangelical church is we've kind of, we have this concept that sex is something more than just physical, but it's almost like we've divided it, right? Like there's a physical side of sex and there's an emotional, spiritual side of sex. And it's like the physical sides for the guys and the emotional sides for the girls. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're a man who even talks about the emotional and spiritual sides of sex and how important that is. 
kind of not as masculine as if you just talk about the physical, which is terrible because God meant sex to be a physical, emotional, and spiritual experience for both the husband and the wife. Like we both have all elements of that and we have a richer experience if we embrace all of it. So what I was saying earlier, women learning to embrace the physical part of it, but also men learning to embrace the emotional and spiritual aspect of it. And I say embrace specifically, I don't mean give lip service because a lot of stuff out there is like, um, okay, I'll give my wife the emotional, spiritual kind of stuff so that I can get the sexy sex. <laughs> and, and we turn sex into a very transactional thing, right? I think that men are going to, we do a lot better as men and we realize that um, when, you're, when your sexual relationship is more than just physical, it doesn't just mean you get more sex because your wife's actually engaged now. It means you get better sex because you understand more about what sex was intended to be all along. Mm-hmm. Yes. So in laying down our entitlements mm-hmm. and choosing to believe that I will be okay without an orgasm, there's more to life than that. We end up receiving far more in return. Yeah. And a lot of that is the emotional satisfaction of being yeah. close. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of guys use sex as, you know, for, for things it's not, it was not designed for. Okay. We use sex as a substitute for personal affirmation (laughs) for like my sense of masculinity derives from how often my wife has sex with me. Right. Um, These kind of things, because we look to sex to soothe wounds inside us rather than dealing with, you know, where those those things are coming from. A lot of men are not taught how to be emotionally available, emotionally mature, we're taught that to be a man, you just basically don't have emotions. <laughs> and so you can't not have emotions. <laughs> but if you're in a if you're in a if you're in a culture, if you're in a community where men, that's the idea of a man, right? Tough guy, stoic, no emotions. All those feelings and emotions and all those things that are still inside you, despite the fact that you want to deny their existence, are going to poke their little heads up. And what you're going to do is you're going to seek to fulfill those needs in an acceptable way. And so a lot of times what happens is we channel all those fears, anxieties, you know, insecurities, all those things, we channel them into sex because that's a manly thing to do. And if instead of having a mentality of sex that I need this, I I can't live without it. If we said, why is this affecting me so much right now? You know, we might find the answer is I feel rejected by my wife. And that makes me question my masculinity, my value, my, why am I here? All these kind of existential things. Well, you know what? Then work on those things, buddy. Like you can do that. Get some good men around you who are emotionally mature. You know, if you feel you can't live with sex, you're probably channeling something else into sex that you need to deal with and instead spend the time and energy to mature and learn how to deal with those things. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's so good. (laughs) (laughs) I related to that deeply. Oh yeah. Well, that's where I was. And I'm not saying this as a guy who's got it all figured out 
and has always had it all figured out. And what's wrong with you, <laughs> you know, to all the men out there. I'm seeing this as a guy who's, that's where I was. I was very insecure. I was very clingy. I was very, you know, I, I hadn't, I hadn't really moved into my manhood and I was looking to my wife in sex to make me feel like a man mm-hmm. instead of saying, Hey, you know, I need to step up and be the man that God has put me here to be for her, be the husband she needs me to be instead of me worrying about, you know, my stuff. And the great thing is, is that, you know, that that resulted in both of us, you know, doing so much better when I decided to tackle the, what's really going on in my heart rather than blaming her that I wasn't getting enough sex. Yeah. Sometimes we're using sex or porn as a pacifier. Yes. I love that. I th- That's so true. Huge part of our healing needs to be asking that question. Why? Why am mm-hmm. I turning to sexual activity to soothe or avoid my emotions? Because it's easier. Because it's easier. <laughs> yeah. That, that's why I'll tell you why, because I'll tell you, like, let's, let's talk about pornography specifically. We have a whole chapter on pornography in the book too. Right. But the women in pornography do whatever you want, whenever you want it and you're perfect and you can do no wrong. And, um, whatever you like is what they like. That is so much easier than actually being involved with a real woman who has her own desires, her own likes, dislikes, who, you know, when you leave the toilet seat up, gets irritated, you know, like, you know, who, who has expectations, who has her own, you know, fears and insecurities, who's a real person, right? Taking that and making a beautiful, wonderful, intimate sexual relationship is a lot of work. And it can be very hard and it can really stretch you and it can really push you to be more than you would have been otherwise. But it's so easy to take the quick route to feeling masculine, strong, all those things with porn, because that is instantly affirming of you without you having to do anything to earn that affirmation. Porn will accept you every time. Mm -hmm. Porn will never be disappointed in you. Porn will always be available. And porn will never see you. Porn will never know you. Porn Mm -hmm. can never love you like a real person. Mm -hmm. And porn will make you less and less of who you were meant to be. Because when you interact with your wife, iron sharpens iron, right? You become better. You become more. And the two, the two become one, but each becomes m- more of who you were supposed to be. It, that's why I think that God uses the sexual relationship as a um, parallel of his relationship with us, right? Because in the same way that as a Christian, when you lean into God more, when you surrender more, when you when you give yourself up and let Christ, you know, Christ be more in you, paradoxically, you become more of who you were going to be. When you die to yourself, you become more you. And it's it's if you're not a Christian, you don't understand it. Um, but that's what Jesus said. You know, if you die, that, that's die to yourself. You become more. And in the same way, in the sexual relationship with your wife. If you, you know, rather than me seeking my own sexual fulfillment, however I want to get it, we work together. We become more than we could have been alone. It's so beautiful. Yeah. The reality is that many of us have some roadblocks. Many of us have some obstacles and some issues that we're facing to be able to get there. So if sex is not working well 
for a couple. What are some of the most common reasons that it could be the case? I think the first step is communication, right? Being able to talk about things with your wife. In you know, because I can we can talk about different things, that sort of stuff, but what really matters is what's going on in your current relationship, right? And so being able to talk about the, these things openly and honestly, and where are we at? Are things working? Are they not? Um, a lot, like I said, a lot of times guys think they're doing a great job when they're not. If you come to your wife and you say, honestly, hey, like I want this to be something that's great for both of us, you know, what are some ways that that we can do that? You might be surprised if if you if you give her a safe space to actually say what she would like, you might be surprised when they come back. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of times people too, we talk a lot about a, one of the analogies we use in the, the book is a snowball and a mountain. And we talk about how, uh, you know, if you get things going well, it's like a snowball rolling down a mountain. It, it accumulates, it, you know, it gets bigger and the more bigger it gets, the heavier it is. So the faster it rolls, so the more it accumulates. And it's this big cycle that keeps, you know, feeding itself. Right. The problem is when you've gone down a bad pathway, that feeds itself too. So if you go down the pathway of entitlement, sex is something that I'm entitled to now that you're, now that we're married, this is what I get. That feeds itself and you, you go into disaster, right? So sometimes you have to stop and say, where are the things that are happening in our relationship that are taking us down bad pathways? And I need to stop (laughs) that snowball in its tracks. I might even need to push it back up the mountain a little bit. <laughs> like for instance, with pornography, right? Like, you know, you, you can't have deep intimacy with your wife if you're not faithful to your wife, um, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually too. And I think you've said this before in your podcast too, is that she deserves to know if this is something that's going on in a relationship, because even if you haven't told her, she knows, like, even if she doesn't know, <laughs> the relationship senses it. Something is going on and, and and she knows that. So I think that sometimes we have to take some hard steps and realize when we're on a on a, um, a bad path and reverse course and, and, uh, and, and go in a different direction. I think that the encouraging part of that though is one of the things that we've seen in the people we surveyed is that even guys who messed up a lot in the beginning, like me, <laughs> um, if you start doing things differently in the future, you can start a new pattern and things can get a lot better and things can improve. One of the things we talk about a lot to specifically answer your question of what are the common problems? Um, one of the things that Sheila talk, talks about a lot is we often talk about sexual frequency as the marker of whether we're successful, you know, quote unquote, <laughs> in, our, in our marriage relationship. Um, and that's really not a good marker. Right? Because frequency is not the point. It's it's a quality of your relationship, not how often it's happening. Right. Um, and I, I want to give you guys there's five things too that that we t- that Sheila talks about in the Great Sex Rescue. It's not, and I I think yeah we talk about it in the Good Guys Guide as well too. Um, but you know, frequency is something that we focus on so much, and we need to stop focusing on frequency. We need to we need to see frequency kind of as the canary in the coal mine. A lot of times sexual frequency kind of dries up or goes into a a patch where it's not where guys want it to be. And they think I need to fix the frequency problem. And instead I want to encourage you to say, we need to see the frequency as an indicator that something's going on in our relationship that needs to be fixed instead. 
Because what the studies have shown is if, if you have these five things mastered, this the frequency thing takes care of itself. The first one is, we talked about already, the orgasm gap. Is sex ple- pleasurable for her? Is she orgasming regularly? Number one. Number two is, are you satisfied with the overall quality of your marriage? Do you have a good marital satisfaction? Number three, does she feel connected and close during sex? Is, is sex something that connects you or is it something that she feels is a duty or an obligation or something that's a little bit dirty, right? Are you free from porn? Is porn not a part of your relationship? And is there no sexual dysfunction? If you got those five things, frequency takes care of itself. So frequency is not the problem. And we focus on the problem instead. So work on those things. Is it a connection issue? Is it a marital satisfaction? Or is there something wrong with our relationship? Am I neglecting her physical pleasure in this, this situation? What am I doing? What can we do differently to make that stronger? If you deal with the, those issues, rather than seeing frequency is the issue, then you're going to be better off, right? Because huh? And frequency will take care of itself because who doesn't want to have amazing sex all the time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, thank you so much for all of this education and evangelism. Like you're preaching the gospel and it's beautiful. Thanks for inviting me. It's been really great. Yeah, you're welcome. Keith, what is your favorite thing about becoming a better lover? Oh my gosh. (laughs) I, I just think that getting to know this amazing person that I've been put with sharing life with sharing everything with, um, seeing it as something that's so much more than just you know, a, a physical thing. It's su- it's such a richer, more enjoyable, more fulfilling way to live. I really just wish that um, guys around the world could appreciate the sexual relationship for everything it was meant to be and making it great for your wife. You know, just learning how to rock her world is just the greatest feeling. I wish, I, and I just hope with this book to help guy, more guys feel that. Yes. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. Well, thank you so much. Guys, if you want to get a copy of The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex or The Great Sex Rescue, which is equally excellent, go down to the links in the show notes and you'll find an easy way to get a copy of those. And because I'm so passionate about this, I will be giving away quite a few copies in the Husband Material community. So join the community as well. And always remember, you are God's beloved son. In you, he is well pleased.